Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. So, I've been a, a pastor for 26 years, and I've never once had the opportunity to wear a jersey of my team, because the last time my team was in the Super Bowl was 1989. I was a senior in high school, and so this is probably the only chance I'll ever have in my lifetime. It's been 33 years. This is probably the only chance in my lifetime that I'll get to do this, so forgive me. I asked Jesus for forgiveness, and he said it was okay. Um, I don't know if in 33 years from now that I'll still be doing this. So, <laughs> Well, we're, we're currently in a sermon series where we're walking through the books, the New Testament books of First and Second Thessalonians, and we finished First Thessalonians last week. We're going to start the book of Second Thessalonians today. And just to quickly summarize First Thessalonians, uh, the Christians in this city of Thessalonica, the church, they're basically, they're just crushing it. They're, they're doing well. Um, they're growing in their faith in leaps and bounds. Uh, they're known all throughout Greece as a church for, of being strong in their faith and their hope and their love. But they're also experiencing an unusual amount of persecution and suffering for their faith. Not the kind of persecution and suffering that we as Americans talk about. It's real persecution and suffering that, that they're going through. Um, and even though we, they were enduring it and doing quite well, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, the three pastors who wrote these letters to them, they wanted them to continue to grow in their faith and to live into their calling. But there are a few things that are getting in the way. So in 1 Thessalonians, we find out that one, the church is being persecuted, and that persecution is intensifying. And so before the second letter is written, 2 Thessalonians, it's gotten worse. And then there are also some growing misunderstandings and fears concerning uh, Jesus' return, the last days, the second coming of Christ. And so in the second letter to the Thessalonian church, these three pastors, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, are going to encourage them, they're going to comfort them, and they're also going to clarify a few things for them. And in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, these three pastors set out to do three things. One, they, they say a prayer of thanksgiving for, the, for their Thessalonian friends. The second thing they do is they assure them that the persecution they're facing isn't going to last forever. And not only that, but God will bring justice to those who are oppressing them. That's the second section of chapter 1. Then the third section of chapter 1, uh, they say a prayer for endurance for their friends who are being persecuted. And so we're going to jump into these three sections and go through chapter 1 in its entirety. And so we're going to start by reading the first few verses here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 1 through 3. Let's let, read this here together. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus give you grace and peace. Verse 3. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing 
and your love for one another is growing. And so they start this letter out by reminding these Thessalonian believers that even though they're facing persecution and hardship, they belong to God. And God sees. He sees it. See, sometimes when when we um, go through hardship in life, sometimes when things aren't going well in our lives, we need to be reminded that we belong to God and that he sees. Right? Have you ever had someone remind you of that? Hey, God sees what you're going through. In 2017, um, my son Josh was getting a spinal fusion surgery over at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Hospital. Um, He had severe scoliosis, and so his his spine was like an S. And it had got to the point where his whole, like, torso had shifted, and his ribs were kind of, like, in his back and really uncomfortable. But we had to wait until he was 12 to get the surgery, just for safety. And so he had to wear this really uncomfortable body brace for a couple years. And when he turned 12, we went to get the surgery. And it's a pretty significant surgery. It's like seven or eight hours long. And we were there for, it felt like an eternity. I think it was like eight, nine, ten days that we were there with him and got all kinds of encouragement from friends, right? Like who would text us and call us and be praying for us. We even got some cards that somebody drove out for us um, from friends in the church here. We had a couple friends show up to the hospital on the day of his surgery, and they texted us, hey, um, we know you guys have a lot on your mind. You might not even want to see anybody, but we're here. We just want you to know we're in the lobby. If you want to talk, we're here. If not, we're just going to pray for, for you guys and for Josh. And, and I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of like a, a really pleasant way to say that, right? Like, if you have too much in your head and in your heart right now, that's okay. We'll just be here. But if you want to talk, you can come. And so my wife and I went down, and we spent, gosh, probably an hour and a half or two hours with them. And they prayed this prayer. And, and, and there was some words in the prayer that I really needed. And, and the prayer went something along the lines of like, God, we know you see Josh in the operating room right now, and you're with him. And we know that you see Adam and Michelle today during this time, and you're with them. Now, I have to tell you, I already knew that. In my head, I already knew that. Yeah, that God's with us and he he sees us. But my heart needed to hear it that day. Right? Because sometimes we need to be reminded when when things aren't going well, we're in a difficult space, that God, we belong to God and he sees. And that's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy are doing for these Thessalonian Christians. They're saying, hey, I know you're being persecuted. I know you're being oppressed. Um, God sees. He sees it. And, it. and it's not that the Thessalonians were, were struggling or wavering in their faith. In verse 3, we read, we thank God for you because your faith is flourishing. So even though their faith was flourishing, they still needed to be encouraged. They still needed, needed to be reminded that God saw what they were going through. You know, February is Black History Month. And one of the reasons Black History Month matters, and it should matter to all of us, is it's an opportunity to honor our black and brown brothers and sisters. It's a time where we can look at everything that the black community has contributed and has gone through and is still going through, and and to remind one another that God sees and we see, right? And so Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they're doing that work. They're, They're standing in solidarity with their friends who are suffering and being persecuted. And directly after this prayer, 
in the next section of chapter 1, which is all about the justice of God, they assure them that God not only sees, but he'll also demonstrate justice on their behalf. And now before we read this second section, which is about God's justice, I want to take a minute to convince you that love and justice can coexist. And I'd go so far to say this, that God can't be a loving God without also being a just God. And the best illustration I have for this is it, 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 ha, it, ha, it, it has shortcomings. It, it, the best illustration I have for this is parenting. And that breaks down on a lot of levels, right? Because I'm a parent. I know I'm not perfect. I'm imperfect at a high level. And my parents were as well because we're humans, right? And so when we try to, to illustrate something about God who is a perfect loving father and we try to talk about our parenting experience and our parenting uh, practice, there, there's, there's a gap there, right? So this is not a perfect illustration, but it's, it's the best one that I have. And if, if you're a parent, you know this, that you walk a tightrope. And the tightrope we walk as parents is, is there are times when our kids mistreat their siblings or other kids at school or neighborhood kids, and we patiently walk with them and, and provide them with teaching moments, right? But then there's other times where those teaching moments require just consequence. So, so let me give you an example. If my oldest child is beating up on my youngest defenseless child and pulverizing them, and I don't ever stop or intervene or, or do anything about it, am I being a loving parent? Well, not to the kid who's getting beat up, right? They're like, Dad, where are you? Like, why, why is this continuing to happen? And the book of Romans tells us this, that it's God's long-suffering and patience that hold back his judgment. But his perfect, long-suffering, patient love can only allow so much damage before it requires him to respond with justice. So for God to be loving, he also has to be just. So keep that in mind as we read this next section. And let's read these next several verses here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. And we're going to read through verse 9. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecution and hardships you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. Verse 7. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Wow. Eternal destruction. Now, if you're like me, I'd love to skip over these verses. Have you ever read anything in the Bible that you just didn't agree with or came across as harsh or you didn't understand it, you just want to pretend you didn't read it? <laughs> Hopefully you have. Um, I'm a pastor and I do. Um, and, and, he, and here's the thing. Once we start running away from, from passages like this, we run the risk of creating a God in our own image. 
once we start avoiding passages that are difficult and challenging, maybe we don't like, like them and agree with them, we run the risk of creating a God made in our own image. Right? A God who can never challenge us or disagree with anything that we say. And, and instead, what we need to do, to do is faithfully wrestle with these passages. We need to look at them, even if they're uncomfortable, even if we don't like them, even if we, we say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. We have to faithfully wrestle with it, right? The parts of Scripture we don't like. You know, when I was a teenager, I um, used to go to this school in New York City called NYSEM. It was a New York School of Urban Ministry. And for about a week to 10 days, we would go do ministry in the streets and, and hand out blankets to those who were homeless and, and feed people. And we worked in soup kitchens and we went to orphanages and dressed up as clowns and made the kids laugh. And just, we just did all kinds of ministry out in, in, in the city. And there was one night on one of my trips after dinner where some of my friends were going to take a subway into Queens because there was a church there that was putting on a production. They were putting on a play, and it was called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Has anybody ever heard of that? It was something that happened in the 80s and the 90s. It was, it was pretty um, common. These churches would put on this play called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And I'll tell you a little bit about how the play went, because I went to that event with some friends at this church. And how it would go is, is there would be several skits. And, and, and one skit might be, a person on their deathbed. And, and it, right before they die, they, they turn to Jesus and, and repent of, 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 of their, their life and, and receive God's love. And, and, and then they pass away and all of a sudden bright lights would shine on the stage. Right? The celestial music would play. An angel or two would walk out on the stage and there'd be this joyous celebration of bringing them into heaven's gates. Then the next skit, the very next one would be something like four teenagers in a car, right? And they're, they're carrying on and they're carousing and, oh boy, they've, they've been keeping God's love at bay and, and they get in a car accident and they, they kind of wake up saying, oh, what happened? Did we just die? And all of a sudden the red lights come on and the smoke starts pouring out of the stage, right? This ominous laugh comes over the speaker's. And these demons with these scary painted faces come out and drag them off the stage to blood-curdling screams. And so there'd be several of those skits, back and forth, back and forth. And then the pastor would come up and say, hey, if, if you were to die tonight, would you know? Right? And I remember as, as a teenager, just thinking to myself, I'm not sure that terrorizing people is the best way to preach the good news of Jesus. <laughs> I just remember feeling so, so conflicted in that space. Um, see, here's the thing. If we make escaping hell the sole reason for relating to Jesus, then I'm going to guess that we're going to have a pretty dysfunctional relationship with him. See, while it's true that Scripture talks about the fear of the Lord time and time again, it's more about reverence, awe, and respect, not trauma. Right? God doesn't want us to be terrified of him. He loves us. And I personally did not become a Christian to escape hell. I didn't respond to one of those altar calls. I became a Christian at 12 years old because I knew I was lost. I knew I needed forgiveness even at 12. I knew, like, 
man, I, I'm, I just have this brokenness and I need forgiveness and, and I'm far away from God and I don't want to be. And when I heard about what God the Father and Jesus the Son did, what the lengths they went to so that I could be with them, I said, yeah, I, I want to do this. I, I want to respond to God's redemptive plan and I, I want to be a Christian. But while we're on this topic of hell, I want to I talk about it a little bit. And what I want to do this morning, and really quickly, is I, I want to offer you and provide you four views of hell in the Christian church. Now, while all four of these views acknowledge the existence of hell and the biblical um, arguments and evidence for it, they differ on, on, on what hell looks like. Okay? And so I'm going to summarize these four views for you. I do not have the time and space to look at all the biblical arguments and biblical evidence for each one. I'm just going to attempt to summarize each one. And I'm not going to tell you which one I believe. You have to buy me coffee in order to get that. And then you have to promise not to dump the hot coffee on me if my view is different than yours. But I'm going to summarize these. And um, if you're interested in doing a little reading, a little research about these four views, there's a book on the screen here that I want to highly recommend. And what I love about this book is they have a theologian from each view take, write a chapter and present the case for that view. And the other three theologians, after that chapter, get a two to three pages to rebut or to debate that view. And so it's an interesting book in that sense that you, all of these theologians are looking at biblical arguments and evidence for, for their particular view of hell, and the others get to respond to it. So if, if, that's, if that's your cup of tea and you want, that's a great book to pick up. There are two versions, an older version, I've read them both, an older version and a, a revised version. This one's the better one, the revised version. So let's walk through these really quickly. I'll do my best to summarize each one. Okay, the first view of hell, eternal conscious torment. Now, I can't list all the theologians who are proponents of each one of these views, so I just put a couple on the screen for you. Pretty famous ones that we would know. Um, so for this one, we have Jonathan Edwards from The Great Awakening. We have J.I. Packer. And what this view holds to is this belief that when we push back on God's love and the life that Jesus offers, after we die, God gives us what we want. He gives us an existence apart from himself. And not only himself, but all of his goodness and all of his blessings. We, we, we get what we ask for, right? And so this leaves us in a place completely void of God's presence, God's goodness, God's blessings. And it's hard for us to think about that, so let me help, help you a little bit. When I say God's goodness, presence, and blessings, I mean everything that he's created that's good. And so light, a place where there is no light, a place where there's no cool air, a place where there's no oxygen, a place where there's no companionship, right? No rest, no peace, no joy, no tranquility, no creativity. And we remain in that state separate from God and God's presence and goodness and, um, for all of eternity. And so that's the view of eternal conscious torment. The second one is called annihilation. A couple famous theologians who were pro proponents of this uh, view were Ignatius of Antioch and, and John Stott. And, and here's what annihilation, annihilationism says. It says that when we don't receive the forgiveness and the atonement that, that comes through Jesus, after we die, we have to atone for our own sins. 
Because we didn't receive the atonement that Jesus offered us, we have to atone for our own sins. And so we're separated from God, his goodness and his blessings, until those sins are fully atoned for. And so some people, they have more to atone for than others, so they're experiencing hell longer. But once full atonement has been made, we experience what Scripture calls the second death, right? And, we, and God, in his grace, um, we experience the second death and we cease to exist. And so while it has eternal consequences, it's not eternal torment. The, the, the torment is temporal. And so that's the annihilation view. The third view of hell in the Christian church is called purgatory. And, of course, C.S. Lewis held this opinion on hell. Um, and also the Roman Catholic tradition holds this opinion. And it says this, that when we say no to God's redemptive work, when we refuse the light of Jesus, after we die, we're separated from God, his goodness and blessings. But we still have the opportunity to set aside our pride, our sin, and repent and turn to Jesus. And so the, the term that they use for this is called post-mortem repentance, right? And, and, the, and they believe that some eventually end up repenting while they're in hell. Others remain separated from God because they're too blinded by their own pride and their own sin and their own anger and resentment. Then there's the fourth view, and this is called ultimate reconciliation. And some theologians who held this view were Origen, Clement of Alexandria, uh, St. Augustine for a while, but he later changed his position. I didn't know you were able to do that, but he did. And so yeah, that's encouraging, right? <laughs> and here's what this view holds. It holds that when we don't trust Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life, after we die, we're separated from God, his goodness, his blessings. But eventually, we're convinced by God's love, and we can't help but respond by crying out to Jesus, who in turn uh, forgives us and restores us. Okay, now that I've given you four opposing views for hell, and you're thoroughly confused, um, I want to go back to this passage in Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Because the Christians in Thessalonica were being persecuted for their faith. And they needed to hear that not only does God see their oppression, but that he would eventually intervene with justice on their behalf. Because if, if God's truly loving, then, then he, he also must be just. So when we're confused, when we're confused by the injustice, all the evil, all the brokenness that we see and experience in our sin-torn world, there's times we get frustrated with God, right? Like, God, what's up? Where, where's the intervention here? And again, like Scripture talks about, it's God's long-suffering and patience which, which holds back his judgment. But just like the Christians in 2 Thessalonians, uh, we can be confident of this, that while God is patient and long-suffering, he's also just. And while he sees all of the injustice, pain, and evil in the world, it will not be that way forever, right? This last section is a prayer for endurance. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are going to now pray for their friends who are being persecuted and oppressed. And we'll pick it up in verse 11 here. I just want to read these last few verses of the chapter. 
So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I thought we could, we could do this to end our time today. I thought we could pray that same prayer, the same words that Paul, Silas, and Timothy prayed for the Thessalonian church. I would love to pray for us. Will you do that with me? Okay, let's pray. And I'm just going to read this prayer. These same words that Paul, Silas, and Timothy prayed for the church at Thessalonica. God, enable us by the power of your Spirit to live a life worthy of your calling. Give us the power to accomplish all the good things our faith prompts us to do. May the name of Jesus be honored by the way we live. Thank you, Lord, for making all this possible because of your grace. Amen. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to sing one last song together. So the band, you guys can come up and get ready. We're going to sing one last song together. At the end of this song, our worship time is over, but the family meeting starts. And we're going to take 20 to 30 minutes in this family meeting and go over all of our financials from last year and see where all the money was spent. You can find out a lot about what a church cares about by looking at their checkbook. You can find out what a lot of people care about by looking at their checkbook, right? And so we're just going to look at that, and then we're also going to propose this next year's budget to the church community. And then we also have two people that we want to formally welcome onto our vision team and board. That's Jess Bickford and John Ayers, who both joined this last year, and we're going to affirm them and get the two-thirds vote that we need to affirm them. Um, So we want to invite you to stay for that family meeting. And we'll also have some question and answer time and, and a prayer. Uh, prayer to close that up. But let me pray for us before we sing. Why don't we stand together? Heavenly Father, um, we come before you this morning in, in this, this um, book that we're reading, Second Thessalonians. Boy, there's some parts that we sure would like to just skip over. <laughs> but you've called us to, to wrestle faithfully with these passages, and so we're doing our best here, Lord, um, to, to walk through these and to find out what it is you want to uh, reveal to us about yourself. And God, I pray for all my friends who are here today, and, and all the friends who are even listening on the podcast, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would do what you did for the Christians in Thessalonica. That we'd be encouraged, and that we'd be reminded that you see, and that we belong to you. God, for all my friends here who may be even going through some hardship right now, this week, today. God, may you just remind them that you see. That you're going to intervene on their behalf. God, all we can do is look to you, so that's what we do. We just humbly submit ourselves and look to you. There's only so much we can do. Lord, we pray you meet us right here in this space today. And as we go, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing together. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at 
www.wellchurchvt.com.